Let's continue our series through the book of Acts tonight. Would you go to chapter 1, please? Is everybody okay tonight? I know it's hot. We're going we're gonna to press on, amen? In Jesus' name, we press on. No. It's Sunday night. There's no telling who may sing, amen? Um. <laughs> Who gave me the courtesy? Amen. All right. Last week, we concluded with the ascension of Jesus. Remember that the disciples had asked Jesus if He was at that time going to restore the kingdom again to Israel. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father hath put in His own power. And remember, the point was they jumped straight to prophecy God says, no, I want you focused on something else. But ye shall be witnesses. Ye shall receive power that you can be witnesses unto me. Jesus wanted them focused back on the main thing. Focusing on the heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. He says, it's not for you to know. They didn't need to get all caught up in prophecy and conspiracy theories, amen but Jesus wanted them focused on being witnesses unto Him in all places. For sure, there's a time and a place for prophecy. You cannot avoid it if you're going to go through the Word of God. Amen. But there is never a time when we should be distracted from being witnesses unto Jesus Christ. And we saw the reason why this was so important. It's because Jesus is coming again. He ascended there. They said He's coming back in like manner the two men that showed up in white apparel. And it's important because there's coming a day when it's too late. Too late for people to receive Christ. Too late for us to labor to win them. We must work while we still can. It's not just true in relation to Christ's return. Listen, Lord could come for you today. Your life could end now. We could be called home at any minute before Jesus returns, as billions already have. John 9, 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus was talking about the day being the time that we could labor, that we could work in this life, and the night being the time when death takes us home and our work here on earth has ceased. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. We sing the hymn, Work for the night is coming. So while the Lord is returning again, He may call us home before this day is out. So let's be busy. Let's be witnesses unto Jesus Christ in all the world. That brings us to where we left off last time. We'll pick up in verse number 12. We're just going to read through verse 14. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called, called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with His brethren. 
Remember in verse 4 that the followers of Christ were instructed by Jesus that they should not depart from Jerusalem because they needed to wait for the promise of the Father, which was going to be the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So in verse 12, we see that they are obedient to Christ's instruction by returning to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, where Jesus ascends. And by the way, that's where He's going to return. Zechariah 14.4 says, And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. Half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half of it toward the south. I can't wait to see that day. You ever seen a mountain just cleave? Into? we find a big difference here from just a few weeks earlier. Remember that a few weeks earlier, they're returning from the Mount of Olives. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Memorial Supper. They're heading down uh, the Mount of Olives to the Brook Kidron. They're eventually going to be back in Jerusalem where they're all going to flee there in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just down from Jerusalem. They're all going to forsake Jesus and flee. But what a difference we find here. Here they are again, departing the Mount of Olives, heading for Jerusalem, but this time it's going to be a different experience when they arrive. They're obedient and they're faithful to His word of instruction and applying this to us because the point of this series is I want us to be an Acts church. Applying this to us, being this kind of church, we understand that we must be obedient to the things which are recorded in God's word. Amen. Those areas that we don't have book, chapter, verse, it's not so easy to find out. We just need to seek the Lord, wait for His guidance, and then follow what He says. Follow His leading. They weren't to get ahead of God by going out before they were endued with power. Jesus has said, look, you need to go, but then He said, look, you need to tarry first, you need to be endued with power. They didn't get ahead of God by going out and, and trying to go without being endued. And I think many times we get ahead of God. I want a new building. That's where everybody should have said, yeah, amen. At least make me feel like you want one. It'd be easy to get ahead of God, wouldn't it? We could make that happen. We need to wait for God's timing. Listen, I was so encouraged this morning. Packed. What a blessing. What a blessing. Now, in verse 13, we see... All the remaining 11 disciples are named as being present. And in verse 14, we see the women are present as well, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now, because of how this is listed, with the apostles already being mentioned in verse 13, and how these brethren at the end of verse 14 are mentioned after Mary is mentioned as the mother of Jesus, it makes perfect sense that these brethren that are referred to here at the end of verse 14 are in fact Jesus' relatives in the flesh. The Bible mentions Jesus had brothers and sisters who were children of Joseph and Mary. More precisely, we know these would have been half-brothers and sisters because Joseph was not Jesus' father in that Joseph did not conceive Christ. Amen. But Mary was overshadowed as a virgin by the Holy Ghost and conceived Christ. Mark 6, 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, 
the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, I take this time to highlight this because there are, are an estimated 1.2 billion Catholics in the world. 80 million of those are in America. 23% of our population. And foundational to their doctrine is the false teachings about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And listen, I'm not being cantankerous. I want to reach them. Amen. You say, are there saved Catholics? Yeah, I think there probably are. But I think there's a lot that are caught up in some false doctrine. Many of us know Catholics. And it can be beneficial at times to know what other religions are saying because of how, in this case, they are wrongly venerating Mary. They claim she was a perpetual virgin. Well, how can that be when the Bible says that Jesus had brothers and sisters of Mary and Joseph? I think this is important. They also believe she was born without sin, lived a sinless life, is the mother of the church, ascended to heaven without dying, and is now the queen in heaven acting as a mediatrix. None of which is true. Now, I'm kind of pausing here just a second just to say this. What's interesting to me, for a woman that is supposedly so vitally important to the church, it's very interesting to me that this is the last time she's mentioned in Scripture. Isn't that interesting? She's mentioned as being there at this prayer meeting. Thank God. She was a praying woman. But she's not mentioned again. You would think somebody so important to this, this religion, there would be more. But then again, I guess that's how you come up with false teachings because you just have tradition of your fathers. So as I was studying this, I found it interesting that one, on one of the Catholic sites it says, we rely heavily on the traditions of our fathers. What a statement to make in light of what Jesus said. Well, anyway, again, I'm not being cantankerous, okay? Uh, we, we all know people we're trying to reach, and I'm just trying to help you understand a way that you can apply this and say, well, did you know the Bible says? Yeah. Amen. A great woman and highly favored? Yes. Worship and pray to her? No. We just need to let the Bible stand. Amen. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Amen. Now, we see in these verses that the church is gathered together in the upper room. And we can see from this how God's design is for the church to gather. To gather together in a central meeting place. At this point, it would appear that this church wasn't yet out in the open. We might say they were still underground. When your leader is crucified, I would call that persecution. And I would think that they're a little concerned, amen, and we know that they needed to get over those things, and they are. But they're still not out there. They're still not meeting at the temple yet, but they are meeting. And they're meeting in a central place. So even though the church at times of history may go underground as it is in certain places of the world, it does not mean that we cease to stop meeting together. As long as we can, as long as we're able, we should try to gather together. Once we get to the end of Acts chapter 2, we'll see after 3,000 souls were added, they begin meeting daily at the temple. And so the location changes, but they're still meeting together. That word church means a called out assembly not called out individual standing on your own. But a called out assembly of people. An assembly is defined as a group of people gathered together in the same place for the same purpose. Therefore, this idea that believers don't need church, don't need church gatherings, it's false. Boy, Sunday night should have been taking laps on that statement. Amen. Y'all are here. 
Sometimes when you purchase something, it will say assembly not required. <laughs> my personal favorite. My wife knows if I try to attempt anything at the house, it's not going to be good. So I have to call Jared, Ken, Breck, I, Mike. I got to call people and be like, can you please? come?" So Brett came over once to help with some electrical issues and Adrian put him to work. I mean, he's hanging curtain rods and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's true. He's in the nursery, right? And uh, I said, brother, you didn't come over here to do all this. He goes, like, it's all right. And I was like, well, good, because if I tried to do this, this thing would be crooked. I'd be punching holes in the wall. I'd be missing studs. I mean, there's only one stud I know. And, you know, it's just hard. <laughs> it's hard to find. Anyway, I would have I made a mess of it. I'm just saying it would have been bad. I love no assembly required. I ordered something recently that said no assembly required. That's the one I want right there. Sometimes it says assembly required. Well, the church is assembly required. <laughs> we are a body. And all of the body is meant to be assembled. Imagine if you woke up one day and your hand decided not to assemble with your body. You wouldn't be complete and it would probably cause some problems. Or if your foot decided, I just need a day off. It would affect you, wouldn't it? It would affect your whole body because you weren't all assembled. When we are not all assembled faithfully, it affects this body of believers. And, and for some of you, that's maybe hard to know, but if you're up here, boy, you can tell. It affects. I'm not saying you should never take a vacation. We have some folks here on vacation. Praise God. Take vacations. I'm in, I'm in favor of vacations. I'm not saying when you're sick, you should force yourself to come to church and infect the whole church. I'm not saying if you can't drive at night to dangerously drive in. I'm not saying if there's a blizzard, come in. I'm just saying you ought to faithfully, your trajectory in your life ought to be this continual, continual attendance to church gatherings. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. We saw in our series through John, there in chapter 20, that our Lord had put His approval upon meeting on Sunday. He showed up twice, the day of His resurrection on Sunday, and then the next week on Sunday. A Sunday night at that, which is cool, but anyway. He put His approval on Sunday meetings. We already studied all that, so I'm not going to go back through that. But that idea continues into the book of Acts, and you'll find it all the way over in Revelation chapter 1 when John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It is something that kept going. And listen, meeting on Sunday, that's the minimum. We are meant to gather somewhere physically. I love the ability to live stream. I think it's wonderful for those who can't be here. I like how it keeps everybody plugged in. Somebody gets sick, somebody's in the hospital, whatever the case is. It keeps us all together. But that does not meet God's idea of assembling together. I'm so impressed with this church. We started live streaming and everybody said it's a mistake. They're going to all stay home. A guy came through recently from a church who had put out some literature against live streaming. You know how Baptists are. They find something wrong with the Cabbage Patch dolls. And, and so he, uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. And he said, oh, it's the devil, you shouldn't do it. 
well, he was through here recently, and, and he said, yeah, we, we just didn't want people to have an excuse to stay home. I said, brother, it had the opposite effect here. People were at home going, man, this is way better in person. It's way better when you're here. So I'm, so, I'm just so happy it had the opposite effect here because I did have my concerns, of course. But anyway, I don't believe that live stream uh, meets the requirement of assembling together. And we are blessed in America to have church facilities where we can gather together in freedom, at least for the most part, at least in South Dakota. Whoop! We saw how quickly COVID can erase a lot of that across this nation. But aren't you glad we were able to stay with it? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, when ye are gathered together, when ye come together in the church, when ye come together therefore into one place, if therefore the whole church be come together in one place. Those are all things that he said to the church in Corinth. And that phrase, one place, is key. We are to gather in one place. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place place. I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a moment. Being gathered together in one place does not mean gathering together in small groups across different houses in town. I personally reject the small group gathering movement that is taking place where you take a whole church gathering and you split up into small groups and assemble in all these different places, I personally think it is unscriptural. And of course, they try to justify it by saying, well, you know, they met in houses in the book of Acts. Yeah, but they met together as a church. Oh, well, not as small groups. I'm I'm not opposed to a church meeting in a home if need be. We had to do that in North Dakota. We had to do home church for about a year and a half. The Lord blessed. We had a great time. Um, I'm not against that if there's no other place to meet. But what's happening is in our day is since people aren't coming back for Sunday nights, I mean, we're blessed here. Look around. But since people aren't coming back on Sunday nights, they're not coming back on Wednesday nights, well, let's just go to small groups. We'll just cancel the service altogether. Someone asked me once if we had small groups here so that others could get to know other people. I guess it's just too difficult to get to know somebody at a church gathering, but I said, well, yes and no. No, in that we believe the Bible teaches we're to be assembled together in one place. And I said it politely. But yes, in that we have Sunday school classes, we have men's prayer meetings, we have ladies' meetings. Unfortunately, they haven't been back. And what I have found that is very interesting to me is that those who have been here and are looking for small groups never want to try men's prayer, the ladies' meeting, or Sunday school. That puzzles me. So really, they aren't interested in adding more of the church to their life or getting to know more people. They just want church out of their way without taking up more of their time. Someone came to me once and they were leaving because they couldn't seem to get plugged in. I respectfully pointed out, you're the last ones here and you're the first ones out. 
I don't see you on Sunday night, Wednesday night, men's prayer, ladies' meetings. Of course, I don't see myself at ladies' meetings. <laughs> Sunday school. This person actually said, I've tried those other services and meetings. They just don't work for us. And I'm wanting to scream out, you're complaining about not fitting in? You're not even here. Give me a break. Well, we just can't get plugged in. Well, sadly, despite my efforts, they haven't been back since. Sure enough, they found a church with small groups. And I'm stepping back from this going, what is happening to our churches in America? No wonder we're not seeing Pentecostal power. We can't even gather together. When the Spirit rushed in and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they were in one accord in one place. And I don't believe they would have experienced such a gracious outpouring of the Holy Ghost had they been split all up all over town. So instead of this small group mentality, can I help us here as a church? We need to return to biblical hospitality. My favorite. (laughs) We need to invite people over. Out for a meal. Hospitality. And listen, we're not going to cancel church services in favor of small groups. Let me be clear, I'm not saying every church that has a small group is the devil. I'm, I'm I'm not saying that at all. But I do feel small groups don't unite the body. I believe they divide the body. And Brother Long, it can lead to false teachings because Bill has to say what he thinks. That has stuck with me when Brother Hetzer was here and he's like, what do you think, Bill? You break into small groups and every Tom, Dick, and Harry's got to give their opinion. The next thing you know, false teaching's floating around. Anybody here named Bill? Plus, with many small groups comes the need for more God-called God teachers. James 3.1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, you don't need many teachers. We need God-called teachers, not just anyone that can lead a small group. And it's my opinion that small groups open the door to church splits. Now, all of this is in my humble opinion. You can take it for what it's worth, but now you know where I stand as a pastor. Classes, yes. Events that are age-specific, sure. Of course, the owls went ziplining the other day. (laughs) Older, wiser, laughing saints, ziplining. They're going to parachute now? (laughs) I did that once, and then as I was praying for the chute to open, and when that chute opened... It was revival. It was revival. My, my sister and I did it in, for her high school graduation and uh, had a great time. But Al's, God bless you. Amen. Um, what's interesting, I'm still on my soapbox. What's interesting is after a few decades of trying small groups out, many pastors now have spoken up about how it never worked. Enough has been said by those preachers that I am shocked how popular it still is, how much it's still being implemented today. And and listen, I'm not trying to be ugly, but if someone isn't going to gather with the saints in a way that we know is biblical, what makes a pastor think they're going to all of a sudden gather into small groups? 
I can't even get people here for prayer time. So the point is, soapbox over. The point is we're to assemble together, and so long as we are able, we are to assemble together in one place. And I believe the Bible is clear that this is God's design. Now, as we see with this early church, it just needs to be a place to assemble. They met in an upper room first. I already mentioned they're later going to meet at the temple. And Brother Chavez and I were talking about this once. It's amazing how this church grew into the thousands without a dedicated church building. (laughs) We think we need a building so bad. They did it without a building. And we sometimes get so hung up on the building that we, we miss the point of what we're doing. When Dean Herring was here, you'll remember uh, him the, earlier this year. Did you know that they don't have a church building? And for 15 years, they've been meeting in a school. They set up and tear down every week. No building. Now, we do need a bigger place to meet. But I wonder, would we be willing to meet somewhere larger, even if it was considered unconventional? Or would we be too hung up on the aesthetics? Well, you know, preacher, we had those cool beams in that other building. So does every church that was built in the 50s. Remember that a building is only a facility. It is used to facilitate ministry. That's it. Well, next we see what our attitude is to be like when we are gathered together in one place in verse 14. These all continue together in one accord in prayer and supplication. They continued in harmony and in one mind. And would you notice that they did so even with the women present, which means it is possible. (laughs) That was meant to be a joke. It's important to observe how this harmony preceded the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't miss that. They were unified on what the Lord told them to do. They were obedient. They continued in prayer together. Before the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there was unity. Do we want to be baptized with the Holy Ghost? We have to be unified. That's why I so frequently stress unity as we're going through the Bible together. Without unity, we're going to struggle. Without unity, we're not going to thrive. And that word continue here means to be earnest towards. They were continuing in prayer and supplication. They were earnest in prayer. As they were tarrying, they weren't just sitting around doing nothing. They were busy. They were earnest in prayer. They were fervent in prayer. That was their focus. I've thought for a couple years now how we should take a Wednesday night and just uh, surprise you, show up and say, okay, this Wednesday night we're doing nothing but prayer for the whole service. I think it'd be nice to do that one Wednesday a month. Isn't it amazing how effective we know prayer to be but how little time we spend in prayer? It would be great if on Wednesday nights we never got to the Bible study because we were too busy praying. But I'm afraid many are done before the piano begins to play to alert us of Bible study time. And I know that to be true. And I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I know how it is. Just to be transparent with you, last week, Adrian and I knelt down to pray up here, and I looked at her, I said, something's wrong. I just don't feel like praying tonight. I gave God my half-hearted prayer. My heart wasn't where it needed to be. We need to be a group of people who continue in earnest prayer in one accord. And it needs to start with me. And listen, that ought to be everybody's heart's desire about themselves. 
You ought to have the opinion. Lord, let it start with me. Isn't it pitiful how little time we actually spend in prayer as a church body? We have four services throughout the week if we include the Sunday school time. On Sundays, we open and close in prayer, which even being generous probably amounts to less than two minutes. But let's round it up to two minutes for easy math. So on Sundays as a church, we spend together in prayer six minutes. On Wednesday nights, we open and close in prayer, and we have a special time of prayer, which is usually about 25 minutes long if you pray the entire time, which the majority are not. So we could say 25 minutes on Wednesday, add another two minutes to that, 27, all told for a week. We're praying together as a church in a week, 33 minutes. That means our church, on average, only spends 0.3% of the week in corporate prayer. So can we really say we're continuing in prayer? Do we really want to be baptized with the Holy Ghost? Do we really want to be more effective? Do we even see how apathetic we really are? I'm afraid we do so little, but we expect so much. May God help us. We'll say more as we continue into chapter 2. But let's obey God's Word. Just as they did. Let's gather together in one place just as they did. Let's do so with one accord just as they did. Let's be a book of Acts kind of church. If you're at art with anybody, you need to get that right in order for us to be in unity. Let's pray.